Welcome, everyone, to Creating a Family. Talk about foster, adoptive, and kinship care. I'm Dawn Davenport. I am the host of this show, but I'm also the director of the nonprofit, creatingafamily.org. Today, we're going to be talking about how to create a compelling adoptive parent profile. We will be talking with Erin Quick. She is the founder and CEO of Pear Tree, an organization dedicated to helping families navigate private adoption in the healthiest way possible. She has more than 20 years experience in global brand marketing, and most importantly, she is a two-time adoptive mom. Erin's goal is to modernize adoptions in the U.S. We also have Jess Nelson. Jess runs the profile creation service at Pear Tree, and she is also a two-time birth mom. So we're thrilled to have both Erin and Jess here to talk about adoptive parent profiles. Jess, let's just jump in and begin with you. Let's start by making sure everybody's on the same page. I think most of our audience will know what we're talking about, but some might not. What is an adoptive parent profile? Great question. An adoptive parent profile is essentially going to be what is either presented to an expectant parent considering adoption or what they view when choosing an adopting family. And that can be in the form of an online profile or a profile book. Okay, we'll talk in a minute about the different formats they can take. Erin, what are some of the other names we may hear? I think adoptive parent profile is the current preferred term, but you may still hear some other names. What are you hearing? Yeah, I mean, we hear online profile, online parent profile, digital profiles, profile books, profile brochures. One that I'll throw out that I don't particularly like, and I think we've kind of phased it out, but uh, it's called Dear Birth Mother, Dear Birth Mother Letters, Dear Birth Mothers. Yeah, what the audience cannot see is that when I said that, both Jess and Aaron wrinkled up their nose in distaste. So, <laughs> so actually, let me ask that. Jess, why is calling it a Dear Birth Mother Letter in the fact that, of course, it's not just a letter, but why is that not the preferred term now? Well, the biggest reason is she's not a birth mother until after the baby is here and consents or relinquishments have been signed. Up until that point, she is an expectant mother. And also you want to make sure that your profile book or your profile or your letter is inclusive and you're writing to potentially both parents. So if it's a couple considering an adoption plan and your letter or your book is addressed to dear expectant mother, then you're excluding half of who is Mm -hmm. helping to make this really important decision. Mm -hmm. The other thing I would say about that, because we do, I mean, we have them on our online profiles on Pear Tree and also in profile books. And sometimes there is a section where adopting families are writing to this person that may pick them or the couple that may pick them. But I think the other thing that we see often is that they're almost carbon copies of each other. And so they, a lot of adopting families will say the exact same things in them. And it's not that they don't feel them. So I don't want to discount their feelings in terms of like, you know, thinking that this is a brave decision and she's so courageous and that you can't understand the situation that she's in. Not untrue, but when you say the exact same thing, and especially if this is kind of the intro to your profile, you start to blend together with all the other adopting families out there. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, you know, the goal behind 
an adoptive parent profile is to be yourself, represent your family honestly, represent your family authentically, trying to and help yourself stand out. That's a lot to ask of a particular anything, especially when it's something is so important, becoming a parent. So I don't know that there are too many people who jump into it with a, boy, this is going to be fun. Cannot wait to begin. So if you're feeling that way, please know you are not alone. Erin, what are some of the different ways that agencies use adoptive parent profiles? So again, like the intent is to be able to show an expectant parent or expectant family when they come into the agency or come into the attorney's office to give them a sense of who these families are. So we see kind of a most often is an expectant mom might see an online profile listed on an agency or attorney's website and be interested and reach out to that professional. So that's kind of you know one of the ways that they'll see them. But if they're actually in office, typically the practice that we've seen employed is they will sit with an expectant mom or family and have them walk through profile books, kind of like we say, like the brochures of adopting families. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A question that we get asked a fair amount from adoptive parents is, and I'm going to direct this to you, Erin, do agencies share their home study? So they've had a home study. Usually it's a fairly lengthy report, including background checks and medical history and things such as that. Is it common for agencies to share that with expectant couples or moms? I don't know any agencies that would share a home study with an expectant parent or couple. Okay. What I do know, and we require it at Pear Tree too, is that families have to be home study approved in order to create an online profile or a profile book. And I think that's pretty typical. Your home study is done. And that's basically the entry level of saying, okay, background checks work. Your references are good. You have the economic stability and the physical and emotional health stability, things such as that, that are what we're looking for in a home study. And then you enter the process of, okay, your next step is usually then the profile. Mm-hmm. Okay. Just how many profiles is an expected couple or mom usually given to look at? I can't imagine. Talk about it's weighted on the prospective adoptive parent side, but it's equally, if not more so, weighted for the birth parents. What's typical or does it change so much by agency? Every agency or attorney is going to be different, but the first step in the process of determining what profile books or who is shown to an expectant mom is kind of matching up what everyone is open to as far as potential exposure, race, open or closed, if she has a location preference. So an agency or an attorney is going to go through and make sure that the profiles that they're presenting to an expectant mom match what she is looking for in an adopting family first. And then I know of agencies and attorneys that will show her five profile books or some that will show her 20. Oh, gosh. I know. I think every professional has a different number that they start with. And then every expectant mom is going to be different. I have worked with expectant moms that have said, I want to see everyone. Mm -hmm. And so we've given her a stack of 15 profile books to look through. And then I know expectant moms that have said, I only want to see two or three. I'll say 
just to add to that, I think it really puts the onus, and this is where I think we're a little bit contrarian about this, is it puts a lot of the pressure and the onus on the adoption professional to really help the expectant mom or family think deeply about what they want in the future and what's really important to them in terms of, you know, like values that they hold dear, that they would want to see extended into whichever family that they choose. I mean, that is an art. It takes time. And that's why, you know, adoption professionals, they're licensed to do that. And I think that's where we want to see even more work done Mm -hmm. on the making sure that, you know, because if she wants to see 15 families, wonderful. And if that agency only has five that meet her criteria, I don't mean to kind of tangent this, but the survey that the NCFA just put out about what's very important to expected parents and birth parents, and that is accurate information and it's free from coercion. Mm -hmm. And if, you know, an agency only has or carries five families or 10 families and none of them are what she wants, what's the responsibility of that agency to find other families for her? Mm Mm-hmm. It does seem that we need to be catering to what the expectant couple or woman wants because she's making or they are making a huge decision and and different people process different ways. For me, 20 would just, I would feel, on the other hand, I'm also a person who is terribly research oriented. So I might be very well be one of the ones who said, send 50 my way, please. You know, who knows what I, I, I might do. So Just does each adoption agency or adoption attorney have different info they want you to include in the profile? Or is there pretty much a universal agreement on what topics need to be covered? I think there's a universal list of topics that need to be covered about you, your home, if you have any other kids in the house, pets, things that are really important to you, your family, your story. And then some other agencies and attorneys might have unique things to them that they want to see in a profile. But overall, the things that you should put in a profile are pretty universal. One thing that we do see with professionals that they ask for is to have somewhat of an anonymous profile in terms of the contact information. Because for families that are building their own profile books or doing independent or self-matching, they'll often put their contact information into profile books. But most adoption professionals don't want your contact information because they want to be the one that is helping kind of facilitate the introductions between family and expectant family. Okay. Hey guys, did you know that Creating a Family has a free monthly newsletter? It is a terrific resource for not only our own resources, but other resources that we have found that we think would help you be the best parent possible to your child. You can sign up by going to this link, bit.ly slash transracial guide. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash transracial guide. And the reason that's the URL is because when you subscribe, you will get a free downloadable guide that's strengthening and supporting your transracial adoptee. It's a terrific guide. It's a terrific resource for you. In addition, the newsletter is terrific. So sign up at bit.ly slash transracial guide. So what should be on your cover? I would assume if we're making analogies to books, you know, we certainly know that the cover of a book is a very important feature. It also makes a big difference on which books are picked up, you know, when you're browsing in a bookstore or a library. Would the same hold true, Aaron, for profile books? And, and if so, what should be included on the cover? Yeah, I mean, I think 
at least all of the profile books that we're creating, it's typically a picture of the people that are adopting, whether it's a single person or a couple and first names. And I think the one thing that we say that's kind of, it holds true to the cover and everything throughout your book is, and you said it early on, Don, is to be as authentic as possible. And so we say, you know, like pancakes over perfect. I've never been able to make pancakes in my whole life without making a huge mess in the kitchen. And that is what, you know, an expectant mom is, she wants to know what, like, what is day to day look like? Not what does your family look like when they're color coordinated in a wheat field? you know, and you have a professional Mm -hmm. photographer. And so I think making sure that you are communicating who you really are, the kind of the personality of your family. And then the other thing we say all the time is you need to be more afraid of being the same than you are of being different. Mm -hmm. That's the advice we are constantly giving to adopting families is they look at other profile books almost as a recipe for what they should do. And we're like, no, think deeply about like what makes you, you, and then how do you communicate that in the cover photo, in the language you're using, in all the subsequent photos and the subsequent spreads. Okay. Jess, you alluded to this earlier, but I want to make sure that there's not something that in addition, what are the sections that you feel like should be included? You listed off a couple. Was that an inclusive list about you, about your home, about your pets? Yeah. So. What I like to see in a really strong profile book is going to be about you as a couple or you as a family, your origin story, what your life looks like, each of you individually. If you're a couple, have you know your spouse or significant other write a little bit about you and then your home, your family, pets. And then I really like to see favorite family traditions, whether that's a holiday tradition or uh, some other tradition in your family, vacations, travel, anything that you are passionate about that's unique to you that is going to create the ability to foster a connection with an expectant parent. And that goes back to what Aaron was saying. Strive to help yourself stand out, not to be the same. Exactly. Gotcha. The other thing about that, Don, is detail really helps with that. I think a lot of people default to using somewhat generic language about like, I like to travel. We love pets. We love dogs. Things like that. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like, I love golden retrievers because my golden retriever growing up was rusty and he was the best dog ever. And he slept every night on my legs. You know, it made me feel Mm -hmm. safe you know, bringing out the thought a little bit more and using more detailed language because you really, I mean, to Jess's point, you don't know what someone will connect with. Mm -hmm. And I think it's also really important to include why you are adopting in your profile book. I think it's really important to be very open and honest about why you are growing your family through adoption so that an expectant mom or expectant parents have that information and know and can kind of see your views on adoption and how she's going to be honored and respected in your home. You know, a question about that. Very often people are coming to adoption after struggling with infertility. How do you make certain that you're not First of all, you need to make certain (laughs) through having really worked on yourself to know that this is not plan B. This is not, well, maybe plan B is not second best. If you have struggled with infertility, how do you make it clear that you are 
excited about this. This is not, this wasn't your first choice, but you're equally as excited about this. How do you go about that? Jess, let me start with you. And then Erin, I'd like to get your thoughts because I think many people face this. Yeah. Absolutely. If you are coming to adoption through infertility, I think it's really important to be honest about that when you're talking about why you're adopting, because that is an important part of your journey. And I think it's important for expectant parents to know that you are coming to adoption through infertility. But when you're discussing that, you can explain it and talk about adoption in a way that shows that you have done the work in kind of coming to terms or grieving your infertility before pursuing adoption. And that shows in the language that you use, the way that you talk about adoption, the way that you talk about expectant and birth families, and the way that you talk about openness and your views on open adoption in your profile book. Erin, thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, that was my path. We went through trying to get pregnant and then three years of infertility and many, many miscarriages. And so I think to your point, making sure that you get to a point emotionally, mentally, where you realize like this is not a substitute for a biological child. Like this is a completely different path to family building that has a completely different set of variables involved in it. And it can be equally as beautiful as any of the family building paths, but it's different and it requires a different mindset. And then the way that I would explain this or that we explain this is when we realized that we didn't want to continue to try to create a biological child, what we did realize biological child wasn't as important to us as we had thought. It was like we wanted to be parents and we had a ton of love to give. And the idea of becoming a parent was so deep in us. Like we didn't care about DNA or our DNA. You know, it was more about like, I have always dreamed of being a parent and I don't have a preference in terms of how our family is built. That was kind of how we explained it. So I think some soul searching or just some kind of, you know, internal processing that you can verbalize to an expectant mom about your journey is important. And then to Jess's point, open adoption, I think really doing some thinking about that because, you know, obviously I think it's like 95% of adoptions are now open. Should you be very specific about what you mean? Yes, many weeks we use that stat as well, but the reality is it's an undefined term. So openness could include once a year sharing of pictures. Yeah. Some people consider that openness. So should you include detail for what you actually mean? But at a time when you're not 100% sure? Yeah, that is exactly the point. And I know Jess has really strong opinions about, you know, families promising the sun, moon and stars in terms of open adoption when they're not actually comfortable with it. Mm -hmm. And to your point, like I had no idea what open adoption really meant Mm -hmm. when we were trying to adopt. And we have two adoptions. One is an email once a year and the other one is incredibly open and both are wonderful and they you know fit the needs of what the birth families want. But I think understanding that there's a spectrum in open adoption and defaulting to almost being more conservative in terms of what you say you're open to at the early onset versus, yes, we'll have every holiday together and you'll come visit all the time, I think is really important. Mm -hmm. Jess, your thoughts on that? I completely agree. I think it's important to discuss openness broadly in your profile book, but as far as detailing what 
you're willing to commit to or what you feel like you can commit to isn't the place in your profile because there are so many other factors that are going to come into play. What an expectant mom wants, what your relationship looks like. And openness is always going to ebb and flow and evolve over time. Okay. Aaron, do you encourage people to have a closing? We've talked about the sections that generally are included and your agency or your attorney is going to tell you exactly what sections, but do you encourage some type of closing? The profile books that we create for families at Pear Tree, I think typically it's, you know, just does a great job of curating this for families to figure out like what's important to this family. So it's not kind of a cookie cutter formula all the time. Sometimes it's their personality profiles at Pear Tree in terms of what kind of personality type they are. And other times it's, we just had just created an incredible profile book for a family and they had kind of their life mantra and what their life mantra meant to them as they're closing. And so I think we don't typically use a cookie cutter, but I'd be curious what Jess's point of view is. I think every profile book needs to have a closing. What that is can be different. Some families kind of do a second expectant mom or expectant parent letter and close with a little note. One thing that I really love is kind of a last few things we want you to know some promises that they want to make to an expectant parent or a quote that's really powerful to them. But I think that there does need to be some type of closing so that your profile book isn't just an abrupt full stop end. There does need to be some last closing thoughts to an expectant parent looking at your profile book. Some type of ending so that you're just not left with a hang. Yes, exactly. Okay. In addition to this podcast, Creating a Family has, of course, a lot of resources on our site, creatingafamily.org. But we also have a curriculum that can be used for small group interactive training or for support groups. Obviously, everything is geared for foster, adoptive, and kinship families. You can get more information at parentsupportgroups.org. The curriculum can be used online or in person. We have 25 different curriculum on, obviously, different topics that are really directly relevant to your training group or your support group. So check it out at parentsupportgroups.org. All right, let's talk about what I always find the most important thing in most books, and that is the pictures. So Jess, how many pictures should you include? Is there a limit? I say that... A 20-page profile book is kind of that sweet spot that gives you a lot of information that you can present to expectant parents, but it's not overwhelming. And it's long enough to be informative, but short enough to still be engaging. And as many good photos, and I don't say good meaning professional lifestyle photo shoot. I just mean good photos that honestly and authentically show your family and your lives. One thing that I really try to talk to our families about is showing their family and their life and using photos that show an expectant mom what their life really looks like, because that's the life that her child could potentially have. And so when you're using Instagram-worthy photos or lifestyle professional photos, that's not giving an expectant mom an accurate glimpse into your life and potentially the life her child can have. So lots of photos, but lots of good, authentic photos. 
So your iPhone is just fine. Absolutely. I shouldn't say iPhone. I should say your phone. <laughs> yes. That's what I was going to say is the cameras on mobile phones have become so sophisticated yes. and so high quality that like you don't need to have professional photos. If you want to slice in a few professional photos, great. But, you know, we'll have families that their whole profile are professional photos from their wedding. You're like, ah, this is like one day. Yeah. One day in time when you looked your best for sure. What are your thoughts on captions for pictures, Erin? We do kind of a mix in our profile books of photos that have captions and then just a few spreads that are just photos that kind of need no captions, speak for themselves. But I would say with captions, don't use any of the generic language is make sure you're using as much detail as possible. And this is one of those things too, like if somebody's creating their own book, make sure the captions make sense to people other than you. We'll see captions that are like us at the beach, you know, and like, well, who's us? You know, if there's seven people in the photo, is that like your grandparents and your uncle's best friend who, you know, that, that, that kind of detail that helps tell the story. What's the status now on including videos? Erin, is that still considered, this obviously is going to be for digital profiles. So I think that's one of the things I don't like about these profile books is that once they're done and printed, it's just they're static versus the online profile that can be so much more dynamic. And so that's one of the things that we're working on right now is to be able to incorporate video and audio files into online profiles because it just there's so much more communicated and context communicated in a video than there is a photo. One of the things that we encourage our families to do is to record themselves reading their letter to an expectant mom. Because again, like the tone of voice, the pace, any kind of background noise, it just creates a richer context for that family. And so we're huge proponents of it. So Jess, what type of pictures should you avoid? Overly formalized pictures we've already talked about. But are there other types of pictures that should be avoided because it could be potentially a turnoff? I would recommend avoiding any photos that aren't high quality, and again, not high quality, meaning professional, but super grainy, blurry, they're not going to look great in your online profile. And they're really not going to print well when you get your profile book printed. Really old photos. I know including photos of you when you were a kid is really cute, but those photos aren't going to look great printed. And I don't discourage families from using photos that have alcohol in them. I really only discourage it in cover photos, but I worked with a family and they did a lifestyle shoot and they had one of the cutest photos I've ever seen. One of their big things as a couple was they would cook dinner together every night and they would always have a glass of wine. So they had one of the cutest photos of him cooking dinner her sitting at the counter and them sharing a glass of wine. And it was a really great kind of glimpse into something that's really important to them as a family. I will say photos to avoid are anything that is specific or kind of privy to you. Like when you're doing photos of your home, don't put your address in photos. If you're doing photos, don't necessarily do a logo of where you work. Anything that's going to be a really personal detail just because it's going to be on the internet and it's going to be sent out to, you know, your agency or attorney. And so personal, really personal details about where you live and where you work 
are also photos that I don't like to see in profiles and in profile books. Yes. What about photos of a nursery or any of those like no bump, still pumped? I might be the contrarian in this. I don't like including those photos in profile books. Any of those we're adopting photos, photos of the nursery, the paper pregnant announcements. I don't like those. I think those have a place amongst your friends and family to announce your adoption journey. I don't think that those are photos that an expectant mom needs to see. I think that they can be a little hurtful and disrespectful to expectant parents because a lot of times, I know I certainly was, I wasn't excited about my pregnancy. And so seeing those adoption announcements in profile books was a little bit hurtful. I can see that. Erin, is there anything different you would suggest for single prospective parents, both male and female? We don't do anything different at Pear Tree for single parents. It's it's the same advice that we would give. Anything about focusing on, uh, say, if you're adopting as a single woman, discussing male role models that are active in your life, that would be active in your child's life, anything like that that you would encourage or, or not? Not that we would necessarily encourage, I think, not in terms of like a male role model, but in terms of a support network, I think like extended family, friends, you know, just to show like, you know, a very robust life, but nothing that I don't think we would recommend differently for single people or older people, you know, some of the groups of people that are often discriminated against in in adoption, we don't have any. Same with LGBTQ plus. Yeah. Yeah. If you're showing yourself authentically, it seems to me you would be including If you're two gay dads, if you have women in your life that are part of your life, you're going to be including that and that the inference can be made that these will be around and and role models. Yeah, I just think, I mean, just communicating kind of this rich tapestry of your life is the point of the books, whether single person, two people. So how do you show family support when you don't have a close family because of death or estrangement? Jess, how do you handle that? I think family encompasses so much more than the family you're born into. I think so many people have a chosen family and that matters just as much as your blood relatives. And so maybe you don't do Thanksgiving with your huge extended family for one reason or another, but maybe you do Friendsgiving and you celebrate with your support network, but your support people aren't who you're related to. I think that is equally as important and meaningful as having a blood-related family. Okay. Erin, some of us don't live in Pinterest or house or Instagram-worthy homes or apartments, and or where you live just doesn't show up well, doesn't photograph well. Are there ways around that? Yeah, I mean, I was going to like dispel the myth that you have to have one of those places in order to present yourself appropriately in a profile book. I mean, a home is a home is a home is a home. And it's like, you know, I can see the sign in my own home. We grew up in a very small house, very poor, and it was, you know, love makes a home. And so I think if there's nooks in your home that are special to you, great. And in fact, I actually think it'd be kind of intimidating because we've seen some like sprawling yards into these gorgeous homes, 
presented in books, which is nice, but that's also a little bit intimidating. You know, like how do you feel when you walk into one of those homes versus walking into a smaller, very cozy place? And so I think it's like, don't think that you have to have house or Instagram worthy home to be presenting well. It can be a very small kitchen where you create delicious meals or a reading chair that has a blanket that your great aunt made for you. You know, it doesn't have to be sprawling architectural digest cover style. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now let's talk about formats. And that's really an area that's changing quite a bit. It feels like you have a lot of options, hardback, booklet type, online, stapled together, whatever. So what formats currently do you see the most and which ones do you recommend? Erin, I'll direct this to you. Okay. So I actually have a strong point of view about this. I think you need to have an online profile, period. You know, adopting families and expecting parents, they've all grown up with the internet at this point, social media, online dating, all of the, everyone's turning to the internet for things that we didn't used to. And so you need to have an online profile and there are a million places to put an online profile. And so I think the question that adopting families need to ask is where are the places that are actually getting eyeballs of expectant families? Because you know, there's places that are like, oh, there's a free profile. Well, wonderful if you spend all the time creating a free profile. But if there's no expectant moms viewing your profile, what good is that profile doing? And could be a net negative in terms of just giving you false hope. So I think you have to have an online profile. We're seeing like AI created online profiles crop up. You know what I was like, oh my gosh, I can't even understand how disrespectful that is to an expectant parent if the adopting family can't create their own, like spend the time to think about the answers to these questions and create their own online profiles. And then I think what we see and what we're really trying to help adoption professionals with is a lot of adoption professionals will host online profiles for their families. But again, if there aren't expectant families coming to those websites, which we're helping a lot of adoption professionals now go through, they're they're not doing any good. The other thing I will say is there are amazing free tools like Canva that exist for families that don't want to spend the money or can't afford to create a profile book. I do think you're at a deficit position if you don't have a book that looks good. Because if your stapled eight-page profile book is next to a beautifully browned profile book, we're humans and you know it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Like You will be at a deficit position mm-hmm. for that. So this idea of like, no, we'll stand out. And you're like, yeah, but you stand out in a negative sense. You don't have to be a professional designer anymore and you don't have to spend a ton of money. Mm-hmm. There are tools like Canva that create templates and will help you create a beautiful book if you don't want to have it done elsewhere. And Canva also has a great printing service that could print it and bind it. So it's a one-stop shop and a certain amount of creativity is needed, but not a great deal. I'm a big Canva fan and I don't have a great deal of creativity. So there you go. Uh, we are too. We love Canva. Mm-hmm. So Erin, I'll, I'll stick with you. Of the printed book, how many copies do you need? Obviously check with your adoption professional, but what are you seeing? We typically send families 10 profile books when they are doing their profile books with Pear Tree. Typically the adoption agencies or attorneys are the ones that are dictating those numbers. But, you know, like just as an example, and we were doing independent self-matching, but I printed profile books and I sent them to all the local hospitals, all the charge nurses. I was dropping them off in lobbies, places, because you just never, I was trying to spread the word as wide as I possibly could. So it's, it's up to families, but they're expensive to print. Actually, there's a great printing service. I don't know, Jess, if you want to mention it, that we found that inexpensive prints of profile books, large profile books that are helpful for families. Yeah, we use Blurb. 
to print all of our profile books. They print really high quality magazine style. So it's a really thick cover, but it's a soft cover. And you can get them printed for between four and six dollars, depending on how long your profile book is. That's yeah, that's a great price. Mm-hmm. All right. Justice, I want to direct this obviously to you. How important, both in your experience as well as in your discussions with other birth moms, how important is the adoptive parent profile in your decision-making and other expected parents' decision-making? I think it's crucial to expectant parents. I think having a well-done profile and complete, well-rounded profile book not only can be the difference between an expectant parent reaching out versus them moving on, but I think it also shows them how important this process is to them. I think when you have an incomplete or a thrown together profile or profile book, it's a little disrespectful to expectant parents. It kind of shows that you aren't invested in this journey and this process. So I think when you really put the time and effort and energy into having a well done, completed profile that you created, that you didn't, you know, use AI to draft and create, I never thought that AI would enter the adoption world, but it has. And families that use, and this is just my opinion as a birth mom, families that use AI or chat GPT to build their adoption profile, it's such a slap in the face to us. This is the most difficult decision we're ever going to make and showing us profiles that aren't authentically you, that are computer generated is just really disrespectful. It's also dishonest. It is. Yeah. And that's going to come back to bite you. Mm -hmm. You asked one question about online profiles in terms of, because I would say probably the majority of adopting families are building some kind of, at least an online profile or have some kind of presence online. I think the thing that's missing from online profiles is the professional's oversight of those profiles online. So a lot of professionals don't have visibility into what their families are doing online. And so a like adopting family, like we had an adoption attorney hired, but they didn't have visibility into what I was doing online. And so I think that is one of the things, there's a huge opportunity, I think, for families to have online profiles, but have the licensed ethical adoption professional you've hired also have visibility into that to be able to provide you guidance. You know, if an expectant mom reaches out, how do you handle it? How do you know if it's a scam or not? How do you move it forward? If money starts to be talked, how do you transition that to the adoption professional? Like those, I think... That's a lot of the work that we're working on in Pear Tree right now. Mm-hmm. Yes, that makes sense. Did you know about our free courses that can help you with your parenting? Thanks to our partners, the Jockey Bean Family Foundation, you have a library of 12 courses to choose from. You can check it out at bit.ly slash JBF support. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash J-B-F support. You have stressed the need for showing your authentic self, trying to show who you really are in your day-to-day life. What are your thoughts on candid shots, candid photos as a way of doing that, Jess? Oh, I love them. 
I love any photo that captures a moment, that captures a feeling. You absolutely need photos that are both of you looking at the camera, no sunglasses, no hats, things like that. But I love that selfie that you captured after a long hike or a wave that came crashing in the water or playing fetch with your dog in the backyard. I love capturing moments and insights into your life and your story that aren't perfect. When Erin said earlier that uh, she's never cooked a pancake without making a huge mess, and I would say that my husband has never cooked a pancake without burning them, a great candid shop would be him holding up the burned pancake or the messy kitchen or Aaron's kitchen, a perfect pancake, but a lot of mess, you know, that type of thing would be a, a great shot because it shows who you are. And, you know, the other thing that candid shots do is they show the genuine smile. Mm-hmm. And maybe I speak that way a little because I am not a photogenic person. And I get this weird smile on my face when the camera is pointed at me. And apparently I close my eyes. The weird smile and the eyes closed are quintessential dawn. But you get a candid shot of me as a non-photogenic person, and it shows who I am. It shows the genuine silliness or smile or something that I think you could only get through candid shots. Mm-hmm. I like to tell people this because it was actually two times the families that chose us. I used the exact same profile photo, and it's me and my husband at a wedding, and I have a horse head over my face and and is holding a hockey stick over his head with like Kanye West sunglasses on, you know, and we never in a million years when we took that picture, did we ever intend to use that as Uh a profile option? But in terms of explaining kind of our silliness and our personalities, like I was like, I don't know if there's a better picture that it kind of explains or that community like shows us, us. And I know the birth family for our daughter, she was talking about when she was scrolling through photos and she, she saw that one. She said, I found them. I found them. <laughs> Anybody who would include that picture is, they're my people. <laughs> That's a great analogy. And there, are there other ways of showing not necessarily your silliness, but the essence of who you are? I'm five facts you wouldn't think about me or something along those lines. Do you ever use any of that, Jess? Yeah, we use random facts. I just did one for a great couple in New Jersey. And one of the last pages of their profile book was 10 facts. And it was really unique snippets about them that didn't really have a standalone place in their profile book, but it made a great kind of final last page of their profile book. Another one that I love to do is a timeline. Mm -hmm. I did a profile book for a family that had a really unique kind of timeline to their story and and their journey as a family. And so they did a timeline of big moments and big events in their time together. Yeah. What about the, I don't know if this is still in vogue, but the couples write about each other. It's awkward when you're trying to write about yourself. And so Aaron, do you encourage some of that to be, assuming it's a couple? that one of the guys writes about the other one, the other guy writes back, you know, so that they're not having to describe themselves. We almost always include that. 
And one thing is like, it's just nice to hear somebody else say nice things about you. So it's good for the adopting families, but it is, it is. for that exact reason that, you know, like, you don't want to write, I am so funny. Oh my gosh. I will make, you know, you yeah. want to have somebody else be like, I've never met a funnier person than Jess. Yeah. You really can't say you are funny. You could think it, but you really can't say that. Yeah, or like, I'm so beautiful on the inside. You know, <laughs> you can't say that about yourself, but you're, you're the person can. And we would say if you're a single person, you don't have a partner or a spouse, have somebody else write it about you. Yeah. I was just going to say, so what do we say to our single applicants? And yeah, have your best friend. Yeah. Or if your parent is really involved in your life, have parents talk about you. Uh-huh. I do for single profile books. I have them give, you know, two or three people that are really important to you kind of write a little paragraph about you or the type of mom they think you're going to be. And that's a whole page in your profile book. And it is going to be that kind of quote or that little story or snippet with a photo of you and that person. And I think it makes it really personal and also really engaging. Mm -hmm. Another thing that you sometimes hear is if you have a connection to adoption in your life, should you be highlighting that? And what happens if you don't? Jess, I'll, I'll direct that to you. I think... It is important if that connection is close to you. I've seen families talk about or want to talk about how they have a connection to adoption, but it was their great uncle twice removed who was (laughs) adopted or did adopt. And at that point, I kind of feel like you're including it just to include it. But I think if you've adopted before, if your immediate family, someone is adopted or has adopted or close friends, I think if adoption is really close to you and a part of your daily life or not necessarily daily life, but it has impacted your life in some way, then I think it's important to include that. But if it's your husband's third cousin-in-law, I don't think that's important to include in your profile. It's important to, if you have adoption that's close and close to your, in your family, that it's important to communicate it for creating community for this new child, you know, to make sure that Mm -hmm. adoptees have community. But the other thing I think is if you have adoption in your history, even if this is your second adoption or third adoption is we had a quote from our son's birth mom that we put in our book, because, you know, it's one thing to say like, we open adoption where we believe in open adoption. It's another thing to have our son's birth mom say they keep their word when it comes to open mm-hmm. adoption. Yeah, that would be strong. And if the relation is distant, your uncle's third cousin twice removed, I think it highlights the fact that you don't have adoption. Yes. I mean, if you're having to look that far afield, you should at least be able to find friends and you know community. You know, it's how I would think. Well, thank you so much, Erin Quick and Jess Nelson, for being with us today to talk about how we'd create a compelling adoptive parent profile. We appreciate your expertise. Thanks, John. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you. Children's Connection. They have been a very longtime supporter of this podcast, as well as of creating a family. Children's Connection is a domestic infant adoption agency, and they place children throughout the U.S., and they also do home studies and post-adoption support to families in Texas. Thank you, Children's Connection. 